welcome to Reanimated, episode 282 of uh, this fair podcast about all things zombie. My name is Stuart, one of your hosts on the Western Coast, East Coast hosts with the most, H. Conrad in uh, Brooklyn. How's it going? Hello, hello. Going good. Going well. Going good and well. Wonderful. Wonderful to hear. We are back with uh, this week, episode two of the extended season 10, uh, or episode 18, if you're keeping track. And uh, before we get to that, we do have a little bit of news and some general, I don't know, life updates. Uh, H.A., what's in the hopper for you? Um, in terms of news or life updates? <laughs> all, of, all of the above, man. Uh, well, as you know, I got my first dosages of the vaccine, and that news continues to be good since the J&J vaccine was, was approved, and I know that that's been shipping out. I actually have a couple of friends who were eligible um, and hadn't been able to get anything up until last week, and I think they got the J and J vaccine, and so far so good. Um, you know, for my for me, side effects were pretty mild, but they were, you know, if I hadn't known about them, I would have been a little bit freaked out. I will, I'll admit, because um, hmm. I had, uh, you know, so I had a pretty sore arm, but that went away within like forty eight hours, and then I had what can only, I, like it was just like an insane level of fatigue this past week, um, and I am not generally a napper and I was like kind of down for the count for a few days which seems to be getting better and then today the lovely thing (laughs) which I somebody did warn me about so I'm glad um but apparently with the Moderna vaccine sometimes like a few days after the vaccine you get like a rash on the arm um that they they inject and it gets like kind of swollen and they call it like Moderna arm and I'm so glad that I heard about this before because otherwise I would have been like oh my god and nobody wants Moderna I mean come on but um but anyway other just very I mean honestly not overall crazy side effects but more just things to be aware of because I think if you aren't aware of them it would freak you out because it definitely would have freaked me out so but other than that going along okay second dose is uh, about a month and then uh Hopefully I'll be good to go, but obviously, um, you know, I think it's still, I, I would, I'm still masking. I would, I'm still taking all precautions, um, and people should do that, especially, um, right now, I don't know how it is out there, but the variants are kind of taking over. So yeah, we're getting uh, more and more yeah. reports of variants locally. Yeah. But I don't want to dwell too much on, on COVID stuff. Cause I know we, we talked a lot last week about it, but, uh, and I don't know that there's anything new totally to report. Let, let's go off of our our specific well i guess we're going to talk a little bit about something related to covid in our first news story which is heartbreaking to me um, oh god yeah have... launch into it H. I know we we've talked about alamo draft house yeah. a bunch of times on this podcast yeah. cuz one opened up in brooklyn yeah, yeah yeah and this you know this is the thing is that so alamo draft house has had a um sort of a fraught journey into New York City theater market um at one point and I don't know even where this is but there was they were supposed to open like multiple locations probably as like a trifecta there was one up in Yonkers one I think was supposed to be up on like the upper east side maybe or like midtown and then one in Brooklyn um the one in midtown just didn't they they had so many issues with the building and whatever that I don't know that it ever opened or even is still scheduled to open. The one in Yonkers was the first, um, which it's like Yonkers, like I guess they were doing okay up there, but that was the first one that kind of opened up. And so much is that so a big th- population center? No, is it like not still really. Still in the city? Is it outside the city? It's kind of like on the edge. It's like you know, it's right there on the edge of like 
you know, the city. And it's it's a great little neighborhood. Um, but, you know, it, in terms of, like, them getting the critical mass, it doesn't necessarily seem like the most... But maybe from the Bronx and other places, like, if people wanted to go up there, I guess. Um, mm. But, you know, I, I think it was probably an easier theater for them to open for whatever, for regulation, Um the things that they were dealing with in the real estate up there was probably a little cheaper. The rents was cheaper. So they were able to do what they needed to do. Um, Brooklyn, just because of the, I think, uh, the sort of the way the project was, the building, the things that they were trying to do, because there's like crazy food court in the bottom of it. All of it was tied to Alamo Drafthouse and Alamo was the sort of anchor. There's also like a Target and a Century 21 in that building. So there was all sorts of different things it's pretty mainstream. Were, yeah, I would like, have thought it'd be more art house like environs. No, no, they had, but I think because of the real estate, they had to entice some of these things. I don't know how it all played out in terms of timing, but I know that the undertaking and the zoning was huge, and they just ran into like issue after issue. Um, and then ultimately, you know, as you remember, I was super psyched when it finally opened up, and I love. I love Alamo Draft House. I love the programming they do. Um, you know, it's it's great that you can eat and drink there, but mainly I just like the vibe and, and how they have a lot of really cool art house films and interesting stuff, and they're not. Um, and you like the rules. Oh, I do love the rules. I you do love, love the rules. rules. <laughs> they're social the programming, rules. if you will. Um, just because you can't, you know, talk or text, and it, it's, you know, it's a great theater-watching experience to me. Um, and, you know, so... I was excited when they opened up. That was a place where it's like me and my friends would always go, you know, we would go there and we would definitely go to the movies pretty often. I would say at least once, if not twice a week sometimes. And, um, you know, all sorts of different friend groups and depending on what was playing, they did amazing programming. They had some good panels. Um, I, that's where I went to see the Expanse panel. I think I told you about, um, and, you know, they they really worked hard to give you, like, a really cool experience um, at the theater. And, um, but I would say they are definitely and were, were definitely reliant upon filling those seats. Um, it's expensive. The tickets are not, you know, cheap. But they make up a lot for that, you know, in terms of their profit, I would assume, comes from alcohol. Um, they also had, like, a big bar um, that was there and a restaurant that in addition to all the theater stuff. Um, and so, you know, they were just really starting to hit their stride um, when all of this happened. Um, it took them a bit, but it was like you were, they were, you were hearing about them a lot more and that kind of thing. And then this happened. Um, and unfortunately they filed for bankruptcy this past week, which I don't think is a shock because their model is pretty hard to sustain without people in the theaters. Um, and they were trying to do stuff like, um, they would rent out to like private groups and it was actually pretty cheap if you had like a pod of people maybe that were willing to all pitch in. I mean, still expensive, but I would imagine, I don't know, you could probably do this somewhat safely in other areas, maybe not New York. Um, so there was stuff like that, that they were doing to try to stay afloat. Um, they also had like this kind of streaming movie program that they tried to put in place, but you know, none of that can make up for the revenue that they're losing. Um, so they, they declared bankruptcy and actually they closed a couple of their theaters permanently, including their original one, which I really personally love the Ritz, um, which was like downtown Austin. Um, another one, I think in Kansas, maybe. Yeah, well, Missouri. Missouri, uh, sorry. Kansas City, Missouri, and then a third in Texas in a city that I cannot pronounce. New Brownfields? Oh, Bronfels. New Brownfields, yeah. 
Um, sure. So they've they've closed three. And honestly, when you read the article in the AV Club um, that we're going to put in the show notes, it's really described as more just like as a reorganization, which is te- te- technically what a Chapter Eleven is. Yeah. And um, one of the like the former uh, CEO or Dra- Alamo Draft House founder and CEO are two of the lenders who are buying out the assets from the company. And so the article at least makes it sound like not too much should change. There might be some new faces and new money that might push it in a new direction. But in theory, there are enough people, original people involved in the project who could keep it going the way it was. Well, I hope so. But one thing that worries me when these kinds of things happen is that one of the, I think, the things that sets Almo Draft House aside and their model aside, uh, sets them like apart rather from other places is just the programming. And it's not, it's very niche programming. It's like for nerds like us and movie nerds like us. And so not all of it is necessarily going to be, um, mainstream stuff. So I worry that they're going to go a lot more mainstream, but you know, we'll see Mm -hmm. what happens with it. I'm, I'm glad they're staying afloat. So I'd much rather this than anything else, but I guess we'll have to see what unfolds as they, as they come out of chapter 11. Yeah. And, and so that's, know, that's one big story of, of, oh, sorry, did you want to say oh, something so else? I was going to say like the other theater that we really love, um, and they don't have, maybe they're going to be a little bit more insulated. I know that they got some aid, um, for COVID, uh, through the PPP program and some other stuff, but is the Nighthawk, uh, cinemas. So they have a couple here in New York and again, they just opened their they after years because they they had taken over this theater right on the edge of Prospect Park, which is closest you know to where I live. And as they started to like basically rehab this building, discovered a lot of insane things in there. Like you know, apparently there was some people living on the inside of the building unbeknownst to people like in a secret cat like there was all these like kind of secret weird things going on there was asbestos there were bed bugs they had to like pretty much strip down the whole thing and it it extended the the opening time by actually like two years which is insane um and they really just had started to kind of hit their stride when all this happened but i feel like they may be in a better position because they aren't they don't have quite as many um, theaters to support so maybe they are going to be okay uh, hopefully until everything opens up and they have also been doing like a pretty like they'll open up the outside and have they serve drinks and things like that and again they probably most of their money is coming from their beverage like their alcoholic beverages and things like that so I don't know how they're doing but let's hope for the best but the next yeah. article that you found which I did not see well, it's so, super related. Like yeah. with these these troubles that the Nighthawk uh, companies, like the Nighthawk, like every movie company, honestly, in the country, uh, these are a wave that is driving probably some long term change in the way that we see movies in this country. And this was something that the C- the new CEO of Disney talked about uh, this week. Um, suggesting that, you know, nobody's probably going to go back to normal, uh, or at least the way that we watch movies is not going to be the same as it was in the future. Uh, and if you think about it, Disney has actually held out more than some other uh, production companies in terms of, like, they took Black Widow off the release cal- uh, schedule, right? And then they've still held on to it. It has a, a May 2021 release date now. But for the most part, other than like Mulan and Raya and maybe a couple of other things that could have had theatrical releases, they have held back. Where as opposed to Warner, which was like, all right, yeah, you can have Tenet and um, a few other. I forget. I've I've watched a few of the films that they released on HBO Plus, 
And uh, it's so and whether they're going to be able to get audiences to leave their living rooms to go back to a theater after doing it this way for a year and not having to wait um, six extra months from the theatrical release to, to in home. And I think right. that's kind of the big question right now. And I don't know. Uh, I mean, H.A., I don't know if you're like a rare breed in that you still love to go to the movies. I love to go to the movies, but usually by myself, honestly. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if that's weird. It probably is on some level. But uh, that's like a, it is a treat. And actually, I do like to go to the movies with my kids, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I think that people like to go. I think it's become, especially if you have kids, it's become a very um, expensive um, outing. And this is part of why I think... Alamo and Nighthawk and their models are a little bit more of a sort of like they're social, right? It's a more social experience because, like, you know, you go and you like can meet up and have a bite, or um, um, even if you you don't feel like eating in the theater. Because I also um, I will admit that there are certain like I can't really go and watch like horror flicks or serious movies and eat in the theater. It just feels weird to me. I know that's a little unusual, but I just can't do it. Um, so you know, but there's like restaurant and like a bar there that are like a lot of fun um in both places um and you know it's and depending on what it is the programming is really you know nice and it's not your typical movie experience so I think that to sort of justify the ticket price they've built in these things um and you definitely do I mean if you add in like you know, a round of drinks with your friends and a, and a dinner or whatever, you're adding into like a pretty higher level, like amount of money that you're spending on it. But, you know, if you think about going to a regular theater anyway, you're spending probably that much on just snacks, right? Oh, the markup on candy and soda at a regular movie theater is way more than they make off of booze, I have to assume. I mean, usually in restaurants, booze is the biggest markup and the biggest moneymaker. But in a regular theater, when you're paying you know, like 10 bucks for a Coke, which costs them cents on the, the liter or whatever. Yeah, that's crazy. So, I mean, I don't think I'm alone given how full these theaters were. And um, the other thing I forgot to mention that both theaters did, which I think is just the best and makes the movie experience better, is that you can do reserve seating. Um, so that, yeah. that actually, yeah. knowing that you don't have to sit and wait in line um, is a pretty... A significant thing and knowing that your seat that was always such a stressor of trying to go to the movies yeah. with friends too was like okay well don't be late or we're not gonna be able to hold your freaking seat yeah. maybe in new york you guys are better at holding oh, seats no 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 because if your friend's not there you're kind of like well kind of you can't do it it's just not yeah. a not a cool thing so um, it's always such a pain like yeah first of all there's the coordination right meet us there at this time and then i will hold your seat for like yeah. 51 seconds and then you can't really talk to them during the movie uh, so it, to me, it always felt like a weird social thing to do with people. Yes. It was just like, all right, yeah, now that you're, this is just stressing me out. Like, I don't need, I don't need the stress of trying to figure out where we're all going to sit together. Uh, if you're not going to show up 30 minutes early, like I do. <laughs> right. And if you don't want to sit in the third row center, I don't know what to talk to you about, man. We're not right. friends. Right. Exactly. So, you know, I think that they made it a better experience overall and something that people seek out, but, um, I do think, I mean, look, I know that I, my husband and I are unique in the, we don't have a TV. Um, we have a projector. So, um, everything is like, it's pretty comfortable to watch films at our house. Um, so it's more of the social experience or the, um, especially if it's a new release that I'm, I'm going out for. Um, 
I think that once all of this is over and safe to go out, I'll probably still go and do that. But you're right that I think it's going to take something significant to sort of like that I maybe like that I want to kind of have the social experience with my friends and stuff like that to be able to go and do that. I think especially if you have kids, this is, you know, going to be the question because it's just a lot easier to, to, for them to see whatever they want at home, right? Um, yeah, but there's a treat element of going out to do it, though, right, too. That, right. that, yeah, so it, it is. It just is elevated one notch. But we'll see what happens. Um, I think there may yeah, be a I place think it's, for I, both, I think it's, though. Sorry. Yeah, there, I think it's going to have to be some sort of weird hybrid model where maybe they're uh, they're only releasing AAA type uh, titles hmm. I don't know yeah, we'll have to see and and I'm sure it's going to be a lot of trial and error like how many how many people actually did shell out the 30 bucks to mm-hmm. watch Raya on Disney plus when right. they you know when that came out this week right. uh, and they're probably going to look at those numbers and be like well okay that that pencils out or it doesn't and then there you go well the um, other thing I would point out though that may make a difference in sort of how they're viewing it so right now everybody's or for the most part, people are not socializing. They're kind of stuck in their own houses. So maybe individual households will be shelling that amount of money out. But couldn't you see a scenario where it's like, hey, you got a bunch, you you know, hey, you, your family has kids, but well, we have kids. We'll just have a bunch of them over and they can have a movie watching party. And so you're only getting that one payment, re- really, and all these people are watching it. You know what I mean? Right. And which has always been their concern is like yeah. these kind of group showings and not getting the... They want to get <laughs> the money from every person that wants to watch it. Um, so I think that that may ultimately be recalculated depending on how things go post-pandemic, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of calculus here, obviously. Um, but so some interesting stuff happening in the movie industry, and I think obviously very driven by COVID, but um, maybe it's also just time for some changes, you know. Mm. Uh, I mean, in my town, our movie theater's gone. It's been shut down since, I don't know, May. So I have no idea what the future holds for that site. Um, hopefully someone else will come in and, and decide to use it because it had nice leather seats and it did have a bar and I was super into it. Um, but that's, we'll have to see what, I'm sure this is a story that's being told all over the country. So we'll see what happens. Finally, we have, uh, there's a project coming out called Z Dead End. Uh, and there's a trailer, and apparently there's an Indiegogo, which I believe has already been funded. Um, did you read the uh, Bloody Disgusting article, and did you watch the trailer, H.A.? I did. Um, I, you know, the the trailer is a little bit... Uh, Terrible. Yeah. It's, it's, well, it's it's using, like, stock photo, yeah. uh, stock video. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't know what to say about that. Uh, the idea is sort of interesting, I guess. Um, it's very Sharknado. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, I think just judging on that, we can sort of get a sense of what this film is going to be like. And I think it is a Sharknado level film probably. Um, but you know, uh, it's, it's such a weird concept for a, um, a trailer to use a bunch of stock video and then have one guy deliver lines about zombies falling out of the sky. Cause I right. think that's the entire gimmick of this movie is that zombies are raining. Yeah. Why they're not calling it the rain. I don't know. Why I it's... know. Right. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens with this. Um, but looks pretty bad so far. Yeah. So. <laughs> but it's out there. And so we must report on it, even if we can't bring ourselves to watch it, especially after the first several weeks of 2021, when we watched a lot of bad movies. Yeah. Agreed. Um, but um, but I don't know. I think I'm ready to jump into 
yeah. our review, but I, you know, I will say, well, anyway, let's jump into it. This, okay, so we watched this, it's actually not even airing till tonight uh, for the real world, but for AMC Plus subscribers, we watched it on, uh, we could watch it as of Thursday. Right. Uh, I watched it last night, and my first... The first thing that happens is this like recap video with some voiceover. Okay, I wanted to talk to you about this because I thought this it was is very confusing. It's very confusing and also weird, and I don't think it's necessary. Do you? I feel like I feel like the episode is produced at the regular level that we expect from this show, which is to say, like top marks of television mm-hmm. premiere television production. But the intro and the outro have some weird production errors, I think. Uh-huh. And I think this is an error. I think they ran the wrong video with the with the voiceover. Oh, I, like I didn't even catch that. I just thought it was strange. Um, well, that's. I think what is strange about it is that it's jarring that Daryl is talking about the Whisperer War and then he's talking about the events of the last episode, episode 17. Right. But all they're showing is Whisperer War footage. Right. Even though he's gone way past that in his voiceover, he's talking about Maggie came back, but somebody was hunting her and we beat them, but yeah, it was really bad. Yeah, they don't even really... But it's... that's not the video they're showing. They're showing like footage of Negan slicing Alpha's throat. And you're like, wait, what? They're, that's not what he's talking about right now. This makes no sense. So it was really weird. Well, anyway, so we're in agreement. It was strange. Okay. And again, <laughs> but again, I don't know that this recap was even necessary regardless. So yeah. There's that. Um, yeah. But and then in the outro, they did another outro with uh, Angela Kang talking yeah. about why they made some of the production decisions that they made. Yeah. And the music was so loud. Like, it, it, I don't know if you uh, I have I the headphones it. on and I'm watching it. Yeah, and it's like, it was. Damn, little... Angela, you have to speak up over the music that they have put over your <sighs> your, <laughs> your speech. So I thought that there were a couple of weird like, I don't know if it's rushed. But it felt like there were some weird decisions being made or errors being made in these two elements of the of the sh- of the show. Otherwise, I you know it was well produced. It was just those two things it really yeah. stuck out. Um, but yeah, after the voiceover and that weird video at the beginning, this uh, this episode begins, and this is a and I I'm a, I'm a little bit like kind of peeved at Angela Kang for the, her first. The first in the first episode they did last week, where she's like, "Yeah, you know, with COVID, we ha- we can't have that many actors on screen." I feel like that kind of mm. hurt my brain a little bit because now it, it's really obvious to me that they only they are not having a lot of actors in any of these episodes. Right. Um, but to be fair, also those are usually my favorite episodes of The Walking Dead. True. Um, so have... this is a uh, yeah small cast. Yeah. Right. Agreed. A lot of character development, and this episode does do a lot of character development. Okay, it does, but I have some, some right, issues shoot. with it. So, um, but also before we get into this, can we talk about Norman Reedus's hair and Carol's hair? Because like Apocalypse hair, um, and then there's also a special guest star, the woman who plays uh, Leah in this episode. Her hair mm-hmm. is phenomenal too. Everything about her is phenomenal. Everything about her is phenomenal. Um, and I'm just like saying this far into the apocalypse, unless you've got somebody like they make out, especially at this particular part of the storyline for him, they make him out to be like, you know, this is, this is a lot of, there are a lot of flashbacks, but we're all talking about we're years and years into it. Mm -hmm. I guess you could make the argument that he somehow learned how to style his hair really well. 
Um, I was thinking about how he's managing to keep his hair also, but I assume he's just cutting it with a knife. I'd like a, I'd like them to show him doing that. There is not any knife cutting going on with that <laughs> level of style. Because you think it's it's too it's too perfect. Like let's just let's just throw that there. So I I will tell you that I noticed a lot in this episode. But anyway, I digress. Um, we all know after you know months of COVID that that hairstyling to this level is not happening because if it's if we all have kind of like quarantine hair um this is just a step you know this is just not believable um but in any case this is definitely a carol and daryl episode um and i don't know if you watched a little bit of the angela kane commentary at the end I did. yeah um but you know they definitely started out and they've got some stuff between us, with, between them, which, you know, I think isn't shocking given that Carol was basically responsible for Connie's um, loss. And but the ep- that doesn't really air until the very end of the episode. Right. And I mean, that's, I mean, and it's it's I'm watching that and I'm thinking, well, this is really overdue that they should have a yeah. put our hurt feelings out there sort of conversation. But the beginning is so nice, too. Like, I really enjoyed their banter at the beginning of the episode. And and I think that that's deliberate. And she even says that. And I kind of thought the same thing, which is that they, you know, we know these characters from way back at the beginning. They've always had a bond. Um, They've butted heads here and there, but there has always been a bond between them. And so part of this episode, especially a couple of things said at the end, didn't necessarily, um, I don't know that they sat well with me because I don't know that I totally found it believable about where they were, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, It just felt like they were, you know, I don't really like um, conflict for conflict's sake, and I definitely don't like retrofitting certain things. And if there is sort of a criticism I have of this episode, this retrofit story thrown in there felt really kind of it felt a little forced to me i don't know how you felt about it but uh, it worked for me like there's so much opportunity for storytelling in that time jump right. and they've already I mean, used it once when they got they explained the uh scars on daryl and michonne's backs from the children episode remember right right that was what they've already plumbed it one time for that and i don't even know when in the timeline that was supposed to happen if like that's already happened to daryl or it's still yet in the cards like yeah. what a bad run of luck he seems to have had in that five-year interval yeah but um Um, there are other stories that they can still tell in that period of time so i I don't feel too bad about that all right well it just felt a little like i don't want to say convenient but this storyline felt slightly convenient to me um i will say i do like finally knowing dog's origin i think that was kind of cute and they get to see little puppy dog which is adorable um if you know but there's this whole thing between uh, Carol and Daryl in this where there's a lot of stuff unsaid and, you know, they're going out on their, you know, one of their sort of normal hunting trucks together. Um, they've got some funny, like, exchanges between them, which is their normal banter, um, which I think is fun. Um, but this really comes down to, at the end, is just like this big sort of a conversation between them. And it's not a fun conversation. Um, there's things that... I don't know. I guess there's things that, especially about your oldest friends that you, you tolerate, and especially these two who have been through so much. Um, 
you know, personally, I think this makes sense because I did feel like he was a little too, I don't want to say forgiving, but a little too move on with her given what had happened with Connie and other things. Um, So I think that this is sort of, as you said, long overdue. Um, It is. Yeah. And, and, but then remember when we were talking last week about how he was really kind of chill with Maggie and yeah. But they're obviously like in this episode, we're back to how he is feeling all the guilt about Rick and is going to look for him forever. But none of that comes up with Maggie. And maybe there's going to be a conversation between those two eventually. But it felt like I'm glad that he's finally going through his laundry list of like, you know, airing of grievances, I guess. But it it feels it felt a little weird that he let Maggie off the hook. But now it's Carol's turn. But it is. It is Carol's turn. And somebody needs to take her to task. And I thought yeah. I think like that line at the end, she's like, I don't need you to save me. I just need a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Melissa McBride delivers that line really, really well. There's so much emotion in her voice. But mm-hmm. it's it's also and it's also like this little girl selfish voice. And I'm right. like, no, nah, dude, you you done you done messed up. And yep. you, you need to you need to get some like really good friend guilt out of that. I hope they don't. I mean, obviously, they have a spinoff coming. So I think we can all rest assured that they're going to be friends or I right. hope maybe they're going to be like nemeses uh, by the end of the, the you know, the season extension here. But it, it I think it's an overdue series of conversations that need to happen. And I feel like I got my fan service in the uh, happy grocery store trip part of this episode too like them fishing by the river and it all feels so nice yeah that definitely they did that um but one of the things that i think is so interesting about the dynamic of these characters and this whole conversation and what's going on here you know it's like daryl has always been this look he was an abused kid he had abusive relationships in his life he has you know like ultimately he made um with Merle, like he had to make a choice of whether he was going to stick with that or stick with Rick and his group. He chose Rick and his group. He chose that lifestyle and he chose them as his family, basically. And he even calls Rick brother, right? Um, mm-hmm. That's who he's referring to, not Merle. Um, and so there is, you know, even more than the normal amount of betrayal that he's probably feeling because these are the people he chose. He definitely chose Carol um, over a lot of other things. And so there's that like level of damage that I think he's also contending with. And then for her, I mean, she came from an abusive relationship too. And so there's a lot of dysfunction going on here. And part of, you know, there's reasons why they bond together because of that, but also it makes them very damaged people to be trying to negotiate (laughs) these things because both of them suffered in silence for a really long time. Um, and Daryl, like, look, it shouldn't like, I do like the fact that Daryl has like this sort of secret past happening because he's not somebody who ever talks about things like this. He kind of just buries them. And so it kind of makes sense that he would still be, that some of the stuff would be coming out even years later that he hasn't given up. Um, you know, it's funny that you say that because even though this is an episode that's supposed to like develop Daryl and we were talking about in the post Rick era, Daryl's like the new leading lead male on this show. And how is he going to do that with when he barely speaks? Mm -hmm. And even though this is a Daryl heavy episode talking about like his recent ish past, he still doesn't have a huge amount of dialogue. I mean, there's some, (laughs) he doesn't. So I was going to say that a lot of it's like, uh, Oh, you know, Daryl, how do you feel about this? 
go to flashback. Right. Right. <laughs> like, no, they can't even have him talk it, it out because that's just not his character. And I actually yeah. respect the fact that they're sticking by that to some extent. In a way, yeah. If you got all chatty Kathy all of a sudden, you'd be like, who is this it, new it, person? It would be a little jarring, right? But maybe yeah. they're maybe they're laying the groundwork for him to become a little bit more emotive. I don't know. But you know, I, I liked that they kind of stuck by that and that you're seeing these things that were hidden. I think that that's kind of cool. Um, the part that I find semi-convenient, I don't know that I totally loved the the backstory with this woman. It, I don't know. like It was confusing to me. I, like She had a squad, and then her family story is quite complicated. So she has a, a Rick. She has a sister who's pregnant and has a child who's Matthew. But, and she also has a pregnant dog. But who is the squad? And right. What? And also... It, was it even necessary for this to be her adopted son versus like that? Didn't that feel a little weird? I mean, unless there's something further down the line that we're going to find out, didn't that feel like a strange detail? It feels though. Maybe they're trying to make the point that in the walking dead universe, nobody's children are really their own anymore. Maybe. They're all like raised by a village. Cause that's definitely the case now with Judith yeah, and yeah, RJ. No, that's true, I guess. But I, that was the part where I was like, this feels like a strange way to go about telling this. And then even her, um, like we all know Daryl's backstory, so they have to make her just as as prickly and and sort yeah. of isolated as he is, I guess. And maybe this this felt like a quick way to get her there, but there was so much that wasn't said there. It felt like they were trying to jam in a lot of kind of weird details about the squad. And then of course I'm like sitting there listening to her backstory about how she and everybody's taken over, and that you know Dog's mom was pregnant. Well, what happened to Dog's mom? Where's you know? Dog's dad? <laughs> Yeah, like, like, like that's mid mid apocalypse. Right. They had a couple of dogs who got together yeah. two years in. Like, yeah. how did that happen? Like, where did you even get these dogs? And like, it was just like this very <laughs> just me being like, you know, not punching holes in it, just wondering where the writers were going with some of this. So that felt a little weird to me. Um, I do like the dynamic between her and Daryl. I thought that was cool. And they obviously did some juxtaposition between her and Daryl and, and Daryl and Carol. I mean, well, even the fishing with the... scene was just a yeah. pure parallel. And right. I was a little bit disturbed by that because it... I was actually happy that there wasn't a lot of romantic overtone or undertone between him and Carol. Yeah. You know that I'm not on board with that ship. Yeah, me neither. Everything about their like comfort together just felt like an old groove that they were in as, as opposed to any sort of romantic, romantic anything. Even well, though she keeps coming to visit him at his camp throughout the episode with various wigs on, um, <laughs> it, it never feels, yeah, it just never has that vibe, right? And I've never really felt that vibe, so I'm hoping that they maintain Well, that. they had, I mean, there's an undertone of that vibe only in that they are so strongly bonded, I guess. Um, yeah. And there like is... Like they could accidentally have sex or something, mm, but it wouldn't mean anything? Or nah, no? I just, I don't know. You, No matter what, whether romantic or not, these two have such a strong bond with each other that... Um, you know, and they even show this in the dynamic that Daryl has with the King. Um, and honestly, a little bit with Carol and Connie. Um, and maybe you can read a little bit into why Carol is not so fussed about, I mean, she's bothered by Connie, but she like, Carol's pretty, I mean, pretty convinced that Daryl is one of the most important people, um, in her life and vice versa. So I think she, feels like he should forgive her and that's a little bit of what's going on here in her ask with him i think yeah Um, that's true but but i don't she's holding the line she's like i did the right thing even though it probably killed connie right and so yeah right so there's there's so there's definitely like an undertone there i agree with you i really i hope that that's not 
where they go because I think it's much more interesting with these characters if you don't ship them. Um, and I'd kind of forgotten that he had a bit of a thing, a budding thing with Connie. Yeah. I'd kind of forgotten that because I was like, yeah, he just never gets any action, Daryl. Like we were wor worried that he was going to sleep with Beth, who's probably like 10 years younger than him. Maybe mm -hmm. not. I don't know. But then that didn't happen and actually went really sideways. Um, yeah. Um, uh, and then with Connie, he had a bit of a thing with the learning sign and um, just some nice, you know, it's hard to read, I guess, a little bit for me. Uh, but then he definitely does shack up with Leah. Like there's there's no doubt that they have a romantic well, part relationship. Of me was wondering, part of me was wondering if they did this just so that everybody would know that Daryl like actually had something at some point because this is like the first time you actually see him being, and even then they don't really show it, but they show the sort of like, you know, the after knocking boots part, but like he definitely was intimate with her. He definitely had a relationship with her, um, without sort of just the sort of insinuation, which is, you know, with, with, with Connie, it was definitely budding. It was there, but not totally like acknowledged and not totally shown on screen anyway. So, um, but so at least, you know, I think they're showing that they're trying, I think they're trying to show that he at least has the capacity to do that maybe. And so there is, so there is that too. Um, and then there, but then there's also the part where it's like him and Leah, both are pretty damaged. They're both living out there for various reasons, um, for losses that they've both suffered, um, probably trying to process through some of that. Um, and then the Carol visitations are very much like, she doesn't know any of this stuff is going on when she's visits. So in her head, her, her head, she just thinks he's out there alone, just being weird. Right. Well, um, honestly, the show does a good job of setting up the fact that he is out there alone being weird for a lot right. of it, right? Like he's just sitting there in the rain <laughs> or or like sitting sitting by his fire looking at the river looking completely uh, morose. And then when that rainstorm when he's under his shelter. Oh, I know. And it's, it's so depressing. it's the worst shelter ever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, the show does a good job of setting up those uh, moments. That, yeah. Those moments for sure. And yeah. he feel I mean, look, he feels like he's out there adrift um and again as i said look his family was this group of people and lo the loss of rick and showing how much that impacted him um is significant so i i do think that we're gonna see a confrontation between him and maggie at some point about that i think that's definitely true um but they're not not yet right now it's just they're setting up some stuff with him and carol we'll see i don't know um and you know and then there's the mysterious disappearance of leo which seems very strange and there's conversations between the two carol and daryl where it's like oh well, maybe she left maybe she got taken um and the truth is is that he knows that I don't think she would have left on her own steam because she never would have left the dog, right? And she probably, like, even if she felt somewhat betrayed by him and by his, like, dedication to something else, um, she's not going to just leave the dog out there to fend for himself because that's sort of her last link with her kid. The mm. dog was born on the same birthday as the de as her, her, her dead son uh, or as the death of her, her um, son, and so she's, we know, if we know anything, we know that about her. So but she took the picture. She took the photo she of She did. So that's like maybe she had time or maybe she was able to like, I don't know. So we'll, we'll see. I I mean, clearly she's going to make a reappearance at some point. Um, it's nice to know that she's still probably out there. She'll come back into the story. And this episode really has very little closure. I was a little bit disappointed. I wanted it to be longer. I wanted it to be like, all right, yeah, what's going to happen now? They end on this argument between Daryl and Carol 
and um, not really sure what's going to happen next. And so I kind of, I guess I like it and I dislike it at the same time. I wanted more for sure. Well, um, with, I, with I, Leah, can we talk briefly about um, her appearance? She wears <laughs> exclusively um, tank tops with bras. Yeah. I, mean, I don't feel like we've seen a lot of bra evidence in The Walking Dead. Maybe we have, and I just haven't really like mentioned it before. But do you feel like people are going to wear bras in the zombie apocalypse? No, especially given what's happened in the COVID apocalypse. Um, I think <laughs> like that her, there's... It's very clear that she's like, she's very toned and fit lady. And she's wearing, you know, as they do, really tight pants and these kind of uh, tank tops. And then, yeah, you can tell she's wearing a bra under it. And this, is, like, huh. this is what I call the uh, Terminator 2 yeah. uh, look. The Linda Hamilton coined, you know, definitely yeah. a Linda Hamilton type look. Uh, like that military tank top thing going on yep. to show the arms off. Um, and I do think that, you know, I, like I will say, if you're around an active, probably you should be wearing a bra because that's like keeps everything going. Like she, she has a chest, so that's going to be hard to be running around mm-hmm. uh, without one for significant amounts of time. I do think there has been evidence of bras in the zombie apocalypse. Uh, Rosita specifically wears one all the time. Um, okay. But and if, uh, but. I will also point out she also has that Linda Hamilton look going on. <laughs> or I guess yep. we could say Sigourney Weaver, though Sigourney Weaver definitely doesn't wear bras um, in Aliens. But well, It was the 70s. It was a different time. Yeah. Um, but in any case, um, this is, you know, I think that they have a very specific look going on with her. I think you're right, though. Like, I don't know that she would have had clothing this clean or fashionable. Also, yeah, she describes her flight through the woods um, after a zombie attack and ending up here. And I'm like, well, how do you have like four different color tank tops? Right. I don't know. Ending up here scavenging. Also, let's just say like this like little cabin is extraordinarily well outfitted with like fishing stuff. If you see all the stuff hanging up on that place, it feel and it, it, that to me also is kind of a weird decision because I know she's in the middle of nowhere, but you also probably want to protect some of this stuff so that you don't lose it. Some of like it's it, just like, hanging on the outside, yeah. It's all hanging on the outside. So even, you know, just random people who maybe don't want to mess with you are going to take some of this stuff because they're desperate enough. Fishing gear, that kind of stuff, like, of course they're going to take it. So They might just throw a fish at your front door. Or maybe, yeah. And that was kind of – that. Daryl's uh, um, sort of attempts at romance are pretty funny. Like, that. <laughs> both of them are pretty broken in that way. And so that was yeah. hilarious. Um, He's like, she might shoot me if I actually knock on the door. So I'll just throw this fish. I know. It's pretty good. Um, funny. Though I'll point out that the dog probably would have barked, right? Uh, you would did. think. Dog is proving to be a questionable. The storyline with dog is is sometimes questionable because he barks when he knows he people. He barks too much. And he barks a lot. Um, the other thing that I found questionable was when she takes out a zombie by shooting, which we all yeah. know that that attracts more of them. And then there was a right after she shoots, which yeah, bad idea. And why does she? Why is she still using a shotgun at this point in the apocalypse? Mm-hmm. Then they do a very reminiscent of Carl and Enid scene together. Oh, definitely. Hiding, hiding behind the tree Deliberate, while the zombies right? wander away. It must, I mean, it must be. But it was it was kind of bittersweet. It's very bittersweet. It's just bitter. Because uh, Carl and Enid are both dead. Like these two young Romeo and Juliet teens. Man, just, every so often the show reminds you that right. people... <laughs> People on the show are dead. Well, and, and even when she's even when she's talking about her son dying, you know he's thinking about Carl. Um, so it's it, you know there's there's definitely, and he's probably also thinking about Henry, you know, and mm-hmm. all these young people that they've lost. Um, 
people that, especially like of more recent, you know, Henry was clearly um, just totally looked up to Daryl. And so there was that too. And, and knowing that you couldn't save somebody um, is a pretty devastating thing that bonded the two of them, I think. So, um, so there, yeah, there's definitely, they're trying to invoke those, those images and those feelings, I think, when they show the story between them. Um, but again, not too much talking between these two ever, other than no. the one, other than the, her telling him a little bit of her crazy story. Um, but you know, he doesn't talk that much. He doesn't share, like he talks about losing his brother. That's about it. Um, very just sketchy details on that. Um, and then even with Carol, even in the most sort of, um, even in the, in where he is most verbal in this, uh, I do like the fact that he calls out the fact that they keep having the same conversation. And I thought that that with Rick too, like right before he betrayed Rick and ended up getting him killed. He was saying the same, I had some real flashbacks because he's like, I keep, we keep having the same conversation. And I'm like, you said that to Rick too about, because you were like the saviors are bad people. Mm -hmm. And Rick kept sticking to his plan. Uh, and then Rick died. And so Daryl, don't, don't say to people, uh, we keep having the same conversation and don't keep saying to ladies who pull a fish out of the river, what beginner's luck. Yeah. Cause, cause clearly uh, it's not, it's just cause they're good. Maybe um, that's why he doesn't get a lot of dialogue. Cause he just keeps repeating the same things. I over don't know. Over but, um, no, I, I thought the same thing that it sounded like the conversation you have with Rick. So I was like, uh, you know, I hope they don't necessarily go down that path again maybe this time he can change it a little bit i do think it's good that him and carol are having the conversation because they basically left so much unsaid um and i think that for him especially given how he does hold all this stuff inside whether they will i'm I'm sure they will resolve it but they're going to have to resolve it now that it's out there and um and, you know, look, Carol, as you said, Carol is being extraordinarily selfish and also doesn't want to take ownership for her part in anything. Um, so that's a problem, too. In so. fact, that uh, at the beginning or earlier in the episode when she's talking about, you know, is our luck run out? Is it time to maybe abandon ship because Alexandria's walls had been turned yep. uh, taken down? Um, this is an interesting I mean, she's they're obviously setting up for maybe Carol and Daryl to yeah. leave the show together and go yeah. off and do their spinoff. That's, that seems to be a lot of this central tension and, and conversation that they're having. But it's also interesting to me that she's like, yeah, King Top, or yeah, it was King Top at that point, Hilltop falling, we had a chance to, to, to save it at least. At least we were there to defend it. But when, they, when the Whispers basically took down the walls of Alexandria and ran a zombie mob in there, we had no agency. Like it feels more of a defeat to her than losing Hilltop, which is kind of crazy. I mean, we haven't really seen the extent of the damage in Alexandria. It, it just seems like there's a lot of graffiti and a piece of the wall is missing from what I could tell. There's no, it's not too bad, but they should have known that this was happening too. They're acting all surprised, but uh, Aaron and Ald- Alden, not Alston, <laughs> Alston, uh, Boston, Massachusetts, uh, Alston, Massachusetts, were, were hiding in the windmill during that yep. time when the whispers were all inside. So they should have known exactly like, well, not exactly, but they should have known at some level what kind of damage was being done to Alexandria. It shouldn't have been a huge surprise. Either way, I, I, it's, I, I found it kind of interesting that she's like, should is this the end of like this Virginian experiment? Should we move on? Because Alexandria's walls are down. But clearly it's their only, it's that in Oceanside. Who yeah. even knows what Oceanside is like these days? Wasn't Virgil walking into Oceanside at the end of season 10? Or where was he? Didn't he show up at the end of season 10? Yeah, I think so. 
I think he did. Um, but there's obviously a lot of loose threads that they're still having to weave um, through this extended part of season 10. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see exactly what is going on at Alexandria. We still have to catch up with our gang on the road with the yep. Commonwealth uh, stormtroopers. There are so many things that we want to find out about. I, I remain extremely um, happy that the show is back on the air. Oh, no, me too. And on, honestly, like, despite some of my slightly nitpicky comments, I do like this episode. And I also have to comment that um, they re- whoever, you know, they really did an amazing job with the cinematography. Like, you can also understand why Daryl and even Leah, for that matter, would be okay being out there. Because despite... It's beautiful. If, if you take the rain and, and the crappy weather out <laughs> of it, it is a really yeah. beautiful area. And the, so especially some of those morning scenes, like on the river, um, are are just absolutely gorgeous. And, and so I think they did a beautiful job with how it looks. Um, I also think that... You know, Daryl does, and I should comment on this just in how when he and Carol went out and they originally were going to hunt in a certain place and then when it was clear that they couldn't and he suggests the river is that maybe even if subconsciously, although maybe it's a little more conscious than he's or than we know, um, he clearly has to work through some stuff here. I mean, Mm -hmm. he knows that her cabin's down there, that Leah's cabin's down there. He knows that that stuff is there, and maybe he needs to have somebody with him when he's kind of sifting through those memories. Um, So I thought that that was kind of an interesting piece, That's an interesting thought, yeah. Um, So so anyway, I'm psyched. This is back on, um, and I do obviously love Carol and Daryl, so part of me just wants to see them resolve what's happening and have a better understanding and not have it be broken. Um, I also, I do take issue with Carol view that quote-unquote luck is running out though because again that basically gives her um it, it, to get out of jail free yeah card. it allows her to basically not luck these were deliberate you have to take responsibility for your actions and so yeah maybe that's what she needs to do with daryl is to take responsibility and at one point she kind of did although she didn't seem to feel all that bad about it and she even here again doubles down and says that Hey, I know that all this happened and that we suffered incredible losses, but I was right. And and he's just like, but you know, why is that sort of the <laughs> the the reason for doing this? Because we lost so many people because of your lack of um, self control. Yeah, self control. And um, and again, this is one of the things that we also like about Carol because she is unwilling to stop. And you know, and we've seen in places where sometimes that grit and that that unwillingness to stop has gotten the whole group out of some extraordinarily horrible situations. Um, so, so I think that there needs to be some kind of a, a more expanded conversation about this where maybe she is taking responsibility, but the, the whole thing about it being luck is not uh, acceptable. I don't think even to Daryl clearly. So, yeah, yeah, you're right. It is, it's abandoning any kind of responsibility being like, Oh, destiny is in charge. Nope. Mm -hmm. No, Carol, you ran into the cave and everybody right. had to follow you to make sure you didn't die. Right. And not everybody came out. But, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. If, uh, I'm looking forward to the next one. I don't know if these are going to be linear, if they're going to keep following this thread or if we're going to go back or over or who knows where. So it's, it's exciting times, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yep. I've been seeing more ads for Fear the Walking Dead on social, I think, uh, because that uh, gets closer I think a month from now, Fear the Walking Dead is on the air. So get 
get psyched, I guess, for yeah. the second half of season six, I think. Yeah, and I think we'll see again, like, you know, what they have to do. Let's hope that the voiceovers are more successful than this last episode. Um, but we'll I mean, that was see a what small happens. thing. I'll take it in the balance. That was a small thing. And it does just feel like tacked on at the beginning mm-hmm. using the wrong the wrong footage. But again, unnecessary. It, I, I thought it was weird. Yeah, it's just something I don't think they need to do, but it's, it was just unusual. So uh, maybe they'll correct it before it actually airs tonight. I don't know. Um, mm. But with that said, I can't wait to review the next episode with you. Any other par- other parting comments? I, d- I believe I have commented all of the comments. Um, it's, it's, it's damn good to be back on the show. It is, it is. So if you have any thoughts about this episode, send us an email, reanimatedpodcast at gmail.com. Leave a note on our site, reanimatedpodcast.com. Or you can tweet at us, reanimatedpcast. And thanks again for listening. I hope everybody stays well. And until next time, ciao. All right, bye.